The only thing that I love more than having a plan is sticking to that plan and watching everything go according to that plan. It makes me feel like I have some semblance of control. It makes me feel like I have some legitimate control over everything. But you and I, you see our plans don't always turn out the way that we want them to. Sometimes we, we don't even stick with our own plans. Other times, other people don't stick with our plans. And so things may work out a little bit differently than expected. But when it comes to God's plan, there are never any surprises. At least on his end, we get surprised by God's plan. But on, when it comes to his plan, he experiences no surprise. God's plan, it cannot be stopped. When God declares that something will come to pass, it will come to pass. And our time in the book of Acts has proven this to be true. In Acts 1.8, Jesus declared that his, to his disciples that when the Holy Spirit would come down upon them, that they would receive power and that they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And up until this point, this, is, this has been exactly what has happened. In the first seven chapters, salvation came to many Jews in Jerusalem, but the gospel wasn't really going beyond Jerusalem's walls until a man named Stephen was stoned to death in chapter eight. And this event kicked off heavy persecution against the Jerusalem church, which caused them to scatter into more of Judea and Samaria, where Philip and then others also began to proclaim the gospel. Now, Paul, who put Stephen to death and led this persecution, he comes to know Jesus in chapter 9. And in chapter 10, Peter has a divine appointment with a Gentile named Cornelius and his close friends and family. And it's in this meeting that all of them come to faith in Jesus. And for the very first time, the gospel goes forward to the Gentiles. For the very first time, the Holy Spirit comes upon the Gentiles. Which brings us then to chapter 11. This chapter really marks the beginning of a major shift that's taking place in the book of Acts. Because while salvation for the Jewish people has been in focus to this point, we're now shifting to a focus on salvation for the Gentiles to the end of the earth, right? To the end of the earth. A Gentile, by the way, is anyone who is not a Jew, a non-Israelite. And so Acts is beginning to shift towards salvation for the Gentiles, a fulfillment of Jesus' declaration that the gospel would go forth to the end of the earth. And that's especially relevant to us because without this movement, we would not be here this morning even able to claim the name of Jesus. And the gospel has gone forward as it has because God has revealed his plan to certain people who and they, they received it and they said, all right, we know the plan, and no matter what happens, we're gonna stick to that plan. God, you have chosen to show us what you're doing. You have invited us into it, and now we are going to step into that. We're gonna stick to the plan, regardless of what happens to us. Now, I'm gonna warn you ahead of time that on the surface, chapter 11 might feel a little bit impersonal, because it has a lot of, now this person went and spoke with this person, 
And this person reported to this person and they did this thing in response. Oh yeah, by the way, this guy over here you haven't heard from in a couple chapters, he's gonna do this thing, they're gonna go do that, and then this happened. It's going to feel a little bit choppy and impersonal on the surface, but I would remind us that Acts is a narrative. Acts is a story, it's, it's history that God is showing us. And so once we understand what God was doing at this point in redemptive history, we do have to work a little bit harder to pull out application and bring it to us today. So our goal is to do that, obviously. So here's the lens through which we should view Acts chapter 11, and, and really throughout the rest of Acts, is as we observe God's plan unfold throughout Acts, we learn foundational truths about how we fit into that plan today. This is our lens. We see here that God's plan is going to be working at the universal level, but also at the individual level. And we will witness people at each of these levels sticking to the plan, and God's going to work through them. So this morning, we'll come up with five foundational truths about how we fit into God's plan today based on how they did then. Looking at verse uh, one in chapter 11. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him. The circumcision party, these are Jewish believers who are still holding to the Old Testament law. So the circumcision party criticized him saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. I'm gonna pause there. Before we get to Peter's response, here's the issue that, was, that they had. Interestingly, the problem wasn't that the Gentiles heard the word of God. The problem was that Peter shared a meal with them. The problem was that he spent time with them in their home, which unironically or ironically, I guess it depends on how you look at it, Jesus was criticized for the very same thing during his earthly ministry. And so it's a lot of more of the same, right? They, they question Jesus, why are you spending time with tax collectors and sinners? Why are you being in their homes? The same thing here is happening with Peter. It's more of the same. Why was this a big deal to them? Why was this a problem? Because sharing a meal with somebody in this way was a mark of acceptance and fellowship, and so by sharing the gospel with them and eating with them, Peter is declaring that they would be viewed as fully equal, partners in the gospel, united by Jesus. The problem wasn't the Gentiles receiving God's word, it was that they received it on seemingly equal terms. This had not been their experience, to be fair. This had not really been what they had been taught. Makes me think back to the temple. The way that the temple was constructed at the time was that there was what was known as the court of the Gentiles. And so there was a specific place within the temple that the Gentiles who wanted to worship God, the non-Israelites, they could go to the court of the Gentiles, but that was their designated section, so to speak. So it was, hey, come worship God. Yeah, but stay over there in your section. And here it's almost as if they assumed that this separation would continue and instead of being an equal part of the body of Christ, the Gentiles would be separate and less important, almost like an article of clothing that went on top of the body rather than being a part of the actual body itself. But in response to this challenge, Peter clearly 
and calmly explains to them what happened. Verse four, but Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to me. Looking closely at it, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and, and the birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. It's important to, to note here that when Peter says this, he's keep, he has in mind the Old Testament dietary laws. And so when he hears, rise, Peter, kill and eat, and he sees these animals, he's thinking, okay, I'm being called to, to, to literally eat. And he goes, well, I've adhered to the Old Testament dietary laws, so of course I'm not going to do that. That goes against what I've been taught. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, what God has made clean, do not call common. And so Jesus responds to him and says, Peter, I'm not, I'm not talking about literal food. I'm talking about people, I'm talking about the Gentiles. What I have declared to be common, do not call unclean. He goes on to explain that this happened three times and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived in the house, which we were sent to me from Caesarea. And the spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. That last line there, when he says that the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning, that's an important line because what he's explaining to these Jewish believers, he's saying, hey, look, they received the same gift, the Holy Spirit himself, as we did in the same manner that we did. It may have come at a different time, but this gift that they receive, it is not less than the one that we received. This is the fullness of the Spirit has been given to the Gentiles too. And so he's declaring equality here. This was something that they were obviously wrestling with. This challenged their typical way of thinking. And we have to acknowledge that this challenged Peter too. Peter said, by no means, Lord, I could, and that's probably because he misunderstood what was being said here. But ultimately, we recognize that Peter also had to wrestle with this too. He had to deal with this being confronted with something new that went against what he'd experienced and what he had been taught as a Jew. However, in verse 16, he says, and I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Here, Peter is recalling Jesus' words in Acts 1.5. He's remembering that Jesus foretold, essentially, that this was going to happen. Now, as an aside, this is a real-time example of one of the many functions of the Holy Spirit. In John 14, Jesus said, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and here it is, bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit, he says, 
in times of need, in times, in those moments that the Holy Spirit, he's going to bring to mind what it is that I have taught you. He's going to bring to mind God's word. And that's exactly what happens with Peter as he's wrestling through this new thing that God is doing. And so just as the Spirit brought to mind the words of Jesus to Peter here, he does the same thing in us as we continue to seek and learn and grow in God's word. So Peter caps off this, his explanation with what I consider to be a bit of a mic drop moment, right? And the response of the Jews that challenge him might actually surprise us a little bit. He says, if then God gave the same gift, being the Holy Spirit himself, the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, them being the Jewish believers who challenged him, when they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. If God has chosen to move and reveal himself in this manner, who was I that I could stand in his way, Peter says. We're gonna circle back to this in a moment, but what we just read is Peter simply sharing what God has taught him, how he faithfully followed what he was being called to do. Peter was challenged by this group. Hey, you did this thing. Why did you do that? Hey, you ate. You shared a meal. You went into the home of a Gentile. Why would you do that? They challenged him. And instead, he didn't get defensive, but he simply explained that he was just following the plan that God revealed to him. He goes, look, I was, in, I, I was just doing what I was told to do. And instead in, of responding in stubbornness and pride, they took to heart what he said. They saw that it was valid. They affirmed it themselves and it actually led them to worship. They glorified God. Now, it doesn't always turn out this way, but obedience is ultimately not measured by the outcome. Peter heeded his own words that he would eventually write in 1 Peter 3.15 where he says, always be prepared to give a defense for the hope that is within you and yet do it with gentleness and respect. This here is a simple reminder to us that what God does through us is a testimony worth sharing. What God does through us is a testimony worth sharing. There are going to be times when we will be questioned on what we are doing or about something that we have done. Sometimes it will be a challenge. Hey, why did you do this? And it will be very accusatory in nature. But other times, we're just gonna get questioned out of curiosity. Hey, you did this thing. You made this decision. Why did you do that? Maybe it doesn't make sense logically. So there will be times where we are going to be questioned about the things that we do. And these are opportunities not to defend ourselves but, or, or to put together some perfectly crafted argument, but simply share what God is teaching us and what he's doing through us. And that's not to say, of course, that we're ever going to like, be perfect in everything that we do and that everything that we do is following the Lord perfectly. But when we do and we're questioned, we have an opportunity to share what God is doing in our hearts. As I was wrestling through God's call for my life into vocational ministry, I, would often, I often got the question, the challenge, Dan, you have the Browns, you have the Cavs, you have this bomb resume. 
You're in the midst of getting your master's of business right now. Why in the world would you drop all of that and go into ministry? Why would you do something like this? Well, because I knew that the Lord was leading me in a different direction. It was that simple for me. And that conversation, those questions, it, it led to a lot of really, really good conversations. People, more often than not, it wasn't a challenge, but it was a like, hey, dude, are you okay? Like, why would you do this thing? You were on this path. Why would you do this 180 and do something completely different than you've ever done before? And it gave me an opportunity to share with people, listen, this has been, the Lord has put this on my heart and I've been wrestling with this. And so I wanna share with you what God is teaching me and what I believe he's calling me to do. And now I'm just stepping out in obedience. So I believe that this is how God is desiring to use me. So I'm just trying to be faithful and stick to the plan that he's put on my heart. I'm just trying to stick to God's plan. That is what I'm doing. When we have the opportunity to share what God is doing in our lives, we should share it because the story that he is writing in our lives is an important part, an important piece of a larger story that he's telling. And we can share his story, the gospel, through our story. God used Peter's testimony of faithfulness to change the hearts of those who question him. And he can do the same thing in us and through us. And even if he doesn't change their hearts, we stick to the plan and we share anyway. This is what the Lord is doing. The second foundational truth we can cling to here is that sometimes we need to get out of God's way in order to go God's way. Sometimes we need to move out of God's way in order to go God's way. Boy, this is a word. That like this line here, it could be its own message. It could be its own morning. But we don't have time for that. You are welcome. Thought about making that aside, but listen to what he says again in verse 17. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? He says, who am I? If God has chosen to work this way and reveal himself in this way, even though it challenges what I thought I knew, who am I to get in his way? God's plan is unfolding differently than these Jewish believers expected. And so they challenged it by challenging Peter. Peter had to wrestle with the same exact thing because of what God was calling him to do. It challenged what he had experienced and what he thought that he knew. But both Peter and those who challenged him, they responded with humility rather than pride. Peter saw what God was doing. He's witnessing this and he said, who am I to get in God's way? And after hearing his testimony, the people fell silent. And there are some different ways that we could probably interpret this and read into this, but I don't look at their silence as them being put in their place. This isn't like, ooh, he just told us. I actually don't view it that way. I like to think of this as they, their silence was them actually listening and processing Peter's testimony. 
that they're receiving, that they are actually listening to hear and understand as opposed to listening so that they can respond right away. Because stubbornness and pride would have said, yeah, well, guess what, Peter? That is wrong because of this. And they would have kept going in their ways. But they listened. They were silent. They contemplated what he said and they took it to heart. And in that, they allowed their hearts to be changed which led them to also getting on board with what God is doing. And it led them to worship. They glorified God. Think of God's plan like a moving train. There is not a single thing that you and I could do to stop a moving train. Even if Peter wanted to go against God's plan, it would be no better than us trying to stop a train by just jumping right in front of it. That train would lose no momentum as it were to continue on its way. And instead of making any progress in slowing down the train, we hurt ourselves. And that's actually selling it a little bit short. <laughs> we did. But we're not even making a dent in this path. God's plan is going to move forward. So because it's this unstoppable train, God's plan is this unstoppable train that will get to its destination that it's set for regardless of what seeks to stop it. We are better served getting on the train, not getting in front of it. Have you considered that at times we actually get in God's way rather than go God's way? It's evident that God is moving in a certain way and he's leading people to move that direction, but instead of embracing God's plan, we question it, not because it compromises the gospel, but because it compromises our tradition. That's what was happening here. It was not the law that said not to eat with the Gentiles, it was their custom. In fact, in Matthew chapter 15, Jesus challenges the religious leaders of the day because he says, for your sake, for the sake of your traditions, you break God's command. He says, you hold your tradition higher than the word of God. We may not explicitly sin in our traditions, but at times we may cling to them so tightly that we are not open to the new things that God is doing. And when we're tempted to cling to what we've known and experienced, we need to be reminded that God advances his kingdom in many ways. We must be open to him working differently at different times with different people. When we're tempted to cling, when we're tempted to be confronted, when we are confronted with this new thing that God is doing in his plan, especially when it challenges our experiences, will we respond with humility and openness like they did, or will we let pride close our hearts? Just James reminds us that God opposes the proud. He opposes, I don't know about you, I don't want God to oppose me in any way, shape, or form. God opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble. The humble responses of Peter and this group of Jewish believers show us that this is a picture of what faithfulness to God's plan looked like zoomed in at an individual level. 
It's a preview of what is ultimately to come. And so Luke is now going to zoom out and he's going to show us how God's plan for the Gentiles is unfolding on a larger scale. Look back with me at verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke with the Hellenists also. And that's Greek-speaking non-Jews this time. So um, speaking to Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. What we're, re- what we're reading here is a continuation of the fallout of Stephen's death in chapter 8. I would remind you that we see here in chapter eight, and there arose on that day, referring to the day that that, uh, Stephen was ultimately stoned to death. He was martyred for his faith. Uh, And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. A couple verses later, we see now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. So we're told here in chapter 11 that some, okay, so some who scattered went to the areas of Judea and Samaria. We're told that in chapter eight. But here in chapter 11, we're told that others traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. Now here's a helpful visual for what we're looking at here. There's gonna be a map that's on the screen there. Now we're not gonna look at this map super in depth, but I want you to see where this movement is taking place. Can you read all of that? I'm kidding, we don't need to read all that. We just need to look at the big colorful boxes, right? So the yellow box is where Jerusalem is located. It's where the mother church is, where all of this movement is beginning. And what we see is the red boxes. You have right above Jerusalem, you have Phoenicia. Then you have Cyprus, the island. And then you have Antioch. Antioch would have been 300 miles away from Jerusalem. Like this is a long travel. They don't have cars. That's a long way to Uber. They're, they're walking. They're doing all these different, they, they have to, to manually get there. And so this is just a visual of how far they're traveling. What's interesting is we are told here that the ones that are making this movement are the ones who are from, they're natives of Cyprus and they're natives of Cyrene. Cyrene is not on this map, but it's, it's North Africa. It's west of Egypt, so it's all the way down. Um, oh, actually, you can't see it on the lower, lower little map in the bottom left-hand corner. Like, some men from Cyrene. So what's interesting is that the very first missionaries here, they actually came from Africa. So it's an interesting note. But you can see that this movement is starting to take place and you can see later, this is all of Paul's missionary journey. And so this is the beginning of the gospel spreading northward into Europe. And so again, you don't need to read all that, have it memorized. It's just a good reference to see where this movement is is starting to take place now. Now we're told that some only preach the gospel to Jews, but others, no doubt, prompted by the Spirit, preached to the Gentiles. And as they did so, the hand of the Lord was with them, which meant that they were blessed and that they were empowered as they did this. And the result was that a great many turned to the Lord. Here's the point. God used Stephen's death and persecution of the church to advance his plan to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. This was his plan. It's an important reminder that God uses even the wickedness of man to advance the gospel. 
God uses even the wickedness of man to advance the gospel. We already established that even if we attempt to get in God's way, it won't hinder his plan. And this is especially true of those who would intentionally oppose what God's doing. Not only does the evil of man fail to stop God's plan, but he puts it to shame by using it to actually advance the gospel. In Genesis 50, Joseph confronts his brothers who had sold him into slavery years prior. And he says to them, what you meant for evil against me, what you meant, what you intended evil against me, God meant it for good. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. And there is no greater example of this than the cross. The ultimate act of wickedness, the ultimate act of betrayal came from people who saw Jesus as a threat as opposed to their savior. And they thought this movement, this, this new belief, this new faith, this new, we gotta cut this off. This is a threat. And so they put him to death on the cross thinking that it would stomp it out. It would stop the movement. Spoiler, that didn't happen. In fact, that was the, the ultimate act of wickedness in the history of man God used as the ultimate act of saving us. The very fact the cross was used, God used the wickedness and the sinful hearts of man to actually advance his plan for the gospel because three days later, Jesus rose from the tomb, proving that he conquered sin and death. And so God takes what is intended for evil and then he intends it for good. For us, it's easy to look at what's going on in the world and the struggles that we may experience personally and we ask God, how could you ever redeem this? How could this ever be for your glory? And my response to that would be the same way that he always has, the same way that he has always used it. Evil may thwart our plans, but it can never thwart his these believers, they had great evil done to them because of their faith. They were persecuted. They obviously experienced hardship in the midst of this, but they stuck to the plan. They were faithful, and God moved through their faithfulness, and he will do the same thing in us. Now, as the gospel continued to explode this way, particularly in Antioch, the, the mother church, so to speak, in Jerusalem, sent in backup Verse 22, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them, it means he encouraged them, all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now, previously, the Jerusalem church sent Peter and John to confirm Philip's ministry to the Samaritans in chapter eight. So they followed suit here by sending Barnabas to Antioch. Now, Barnabas was like the perfect guy for this because like some of the others going this far to share the gospel, he also was a native of Cyprus. 
And he was also known as being full of the spirit and of wisdom, as well as his ability to encourage and discern. And so when he witnessed God's grace firsthand and confirmed that the Gentiles' conversions were genuine, he was glad. It led him to a place of worship too. But this does raise a new concern for Barnabas. Because now we have a ton of brand new followers of Jesus, all of which who are living in the third largest city in the Roman Empire, which also is a major hub for idol worship and paganism. So now Barnabas calls in the backup. He brings in Saul, a.k.a. Paul, who we haven't seen since chapter 9. And actually, several, even though it's a couple chapters ago, only a couple chapters ago, um, several years have passed. Like a long time has passed since then. And so, um, and, and at that time, since we last see Saul, Paul, in chapter 9, it was Barnabas, I would remind you, that he actually vouched for Paul to the apostles after his conversion. So Barnabas knew Paul well. He trusted him. And how they handled the birth and rapid growth of this new church in Antioch is informative for us. We're told that for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. Our takeaway, building God's kingdom means teaching and modeling God's word. It's simple. Building God's kingdom means teaching and modeling God's word. For an entire year, they spent intentional, purposeful time with these new believers and not only taught them God's word, but modeled it for them day in and day out. They undoubtedly spent time with them in their homes, getting to know them and developed genuine relationships with them. And this wasn't some brilliant strategy that they came up with. They didn't come up with this idea. They were simply being faithful to what Jesus called them to in the Great Commission. Matthew 28, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And here it is, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And I will be with you always to the end of the age. Jesus' plan to build his church, it involves sharing the gospel. It involves making disciples, yes. But a disciple, in its simplest form, a disciple is a learner. What are we to learn as disciples? God's word. How do we learn God's word? By having it taught to us and modeled for us. This is why it is crucial for us as individuals to develop an eagerness to not only learn God's word and be taught by God's word, but also to teach God's word. As a church, we want to, to have teaching and modeling God's word permeate in every aspect of ministry, but it requires individuals to faithfully answer that call to teach it and model it. There, there are some who are especially gifted by the Holy Spirit to teach God's word, yes. But the great commission is for all of us, not just a select few. The great commission is not given to a special group of believers. It is given to all of us. And so we have no shortage of opportunities to teach and model God's word to all people of all ages and walks of life here at the chapel. 
Paul and Barnabas, they said yes to this call. Is there perhaps something that you can say yes to? Is there something that the Lord is putting in front of you that you have been considering that maybe you would step into being able to teach and to model God's word to others in our church? Continuing, verse 27. Now in these days, the prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, every one of them, according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. This act here is a further stamp of approval that the newly formed church in Antioch is part of the universal church that Christ is building. These brand new Gentile believers saw that the Jewish believers in Judea needed help and they rose up to meet that need. This was a declaration of love and unity across ethnic lines. They were Gentiles. They were Jews, but most importantly, they were one in Christ. This is an encouragement to us that faithfulness means trusting God will use what we've got. Faithfulness means trusting God will use what we've got. Each individual determined to help according to their ability. There wasn't, we all are going to give this amount. It was they each determined according to their ability, whatever they could give. It wasn't about the amount, it was about their heart. They simply brought what they had and they entrusted it to Barnabas and Saul who then entrusted it to the elders who had then determined how to best meet that need. And so when needs like this arise, it doesn't catch God off guard. Again, nothing can surprise him. In fact, these needs serve as invitations for us to take part in what God is doing in a different way. So we bring what we've got and we entrust it to the authority that God has entrusted us to. The heart of this morning, it's very simple. As God continues to unfold his plan today, the question is, will we be found faithful? It's very simple. When we are challenged or questioned for living out God's word, will we use that opportunity to share the reason for the hope that is within us and share what he's teaching us? When, what's God's, when what God is doing challenges our traditions or typical way of thinking, will we respond with humility and open ourselves up to something new? When we see and experience the evil in this world, will we trust that the Lord intends it for our good and his glory? When we have the opportunity to teach and model God's word, will we say yes to building his church? And when needs arise, will we bring what we've got to those God has entrusted us to and trust that he will multiply it? Just as God was building his church and inviting these believers in Acts chapter 11 into that plan then, He's doing the same in our day. And again, the question is, will we be found faithful? Let's pray. God, we recognize that you are faithful. 
And because you are faithful, God, we desire to walk in faithfulness as well. Lord, we recognize that, that you from the beginning of, beginning of time, before the foundation of the world, in fact, you have had a plan and you have invited us into that plan. You have chosen through your word to reveal to us how you've invited the believers in the first century into this plan. And we now have an opportunity to glean from that and see how you have worked through them and what that means for us today because God, you are still building your church and you have invited us into that. And sometimes that looks like making a big move, but other times it's just simple faithfulness in the seemingly mundane. Lord, when we have conversations, when we are presented with needs, when we are presented with opportunities just to live out your word, would we be found faithful? Would we seek to obey you? Would we seek to serve you and glorify your name? God, even now is as we turn back to you in worship, we ask that you would draw our hearts to you, the one, the only one who is worthy of that worship. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. This has been a message from the chapel. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about the chapel or any of our campuses, including Akron, Green, Wadsworth, Kenmore, Cuyahoga Falls, Nordonia, and Medina, please go to our website at thechapel.life.